to begin this morning really by immediately drawing your attention to the text that we have read together, and in particular to verse 19 of the chapter, to verse 19 and to Acts, uh, of Acts 25. Look at verse 19. Now, what we have there before us is what you might call, in verse 19, an outsider summary of the gospel. Do you see it? An outsider summary of the gospel. Do you see what's happening? Festus, this Roman governor, he's speaking to this guy, uh, King Agrippa, and what he's doing is recounting the defense that Paul has made. And look what he says. Do you see it in verse 19? He says, there was a, uh, there was a dead man named Jesus that Paul claims to be alive. There was a dead man named Jesus that Paul claims to be alive. And what we've been seeing over the latter chapters in Acts is that, yes, there's loads of sort of accusations and claims that have been flung around place over the, 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 the previous uh, few verses, haven't there? But what we're seeing is that the main problem that the Jews have with the Apostle Paul is what? It's that claim, isn't it? Like the main problem that the Jews have with Paul is his claim that this man named Jesus, who was dead, is now alive. Like the main problem they've got is the fact that Paul is claiming a risen Lord. And because of that, this morning, I simply want to ask you this. Where do you stand in relation to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? And where, where do you, where do you stand? What, what do you believe? Like, are, are you turned away from what Festus says to King Agrippa there? Like, do you reject the idea of a, a risen Lord, a risen Savior? Is that it? Or are you turned this morning towards Jesus Christ in repentance and in faith? Do you believe this? What's your orientation to Christ? Where do you stand in relation to a risen, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ? Where do you stand? Okay, now, I'm, I'm pretty sure you would agree with me that there are, what would you say, three principal characters, three groups of people, certainly in the first part of Acts 25, aren't there? Three groups. Like, you've, you've got the Jews, you've got the, you know, the, the chief priests and the leaders of the people in Jerusalem, that's one group that's really in focus here. You've also got Paul. I mean, surely we see that he's a principal character. He's the guy who's on trial. So you've got the Jews, you've got Paul. But you've also got this guy, Festus, this Roman governor. So our plan this morning, our time together, is to examine these verses that we've read. But to do so by assessing those three groups. And they're very, very Differing attitudes towards Christ. Okay? So that's the, that's the plan just now. So, I'm sure you have, but if you haven't, please turn with me to Acts 25. And let's consider that first group. Let's consider the Jews and the idea of being contrary to Christ. So the Jews and the idea of being contrary to Christ. Okay. Um, you remember last week? In Acts 24, in the previous chapter, you had, what was going on? You had Paul the Apostle, and he was, there was a trial, he was on trial before Felix. Alright, that was going on last week. 
this, what have we got? <laughs> We've got Paul, and there's a trial scene, and he's before Festus. So you can see that it's, a, you know, it's easy for us to trip up, and it's easy for us to, to get confused. But you remember what happened last week, do you? There was a big Roman trial, and the Jews gave testimony, Paul gave testimony. And do you remember what Felix decided? Felix decided, not not deciding anything at all. He procrastinated the late. Do you remember how we left it? Felix just left Paul in prison. Now, that guy Felix departs. And what we learn here in Acts 25 is that he is succeeded as Roman governor by this guy called Porcius Festus. He's his successor, Felix Festus. Now, history is not kind to us at this point, okay? Like, from a historical point of view, we are not, we don't know very much about this man Festus at all, other than what we learned in Scripture. But we do know one thing about Festus, don't we? We know that when he got this job of Roman governor, he hit the ground running. Just have a look at verse 1 here. Look at this. It says, three days, just think about that, just three days after arriving in the province, what does Festus do? He goes up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Now, you know, work with me here. Do you see, do you see what's going on with Festus? You know what it's like in your first day of a new job? You know, that's what's going on here with Festus. Like, he's, he's just succeeded. He is the Roman governor. And he's thinking, right, I better make a decent impression here. You know, so what does he do? He says, right, I better go to one of the main cities under my jurisdiction, and I better show them who's boss, you know. I better introduce myself. I'm the new Roman governor. Now, we're going to take Festus, shelve him for a moment. Remember what I said? We're looking here, we're thinking here about the Jews in this first point. Now, this is what I ask you to do. I ask you to meditate upon, to think upon, the sheer hatred and the loathing that the Jews in Jerusalem demonstrate in this chapter towards Paul and in turn towards the gospel. Do you see that? I mean, do you see in this chapter how much the Jews hate the gospel. Look at this with me. Think about how they respond, their initial reaction to their new Roman governor. Do you see it? Like, think about it. The, here comes Festus. You know, Jerusalem's going to be a, a bit of a buzz. Here comes the new Roman governor. He's coming into town. Look at this. There is absolutely no talk of the Jews welcoming him. Like I said, what do they do? Immediately, they confront him with what? With the case against Paul. Like they don't care about niceties for this new Roman governor. They just care about, let's destroy the gospel. Let's, let's have Paul condemned. Do you see it? They notice their plan against Paul. Now, we've got a lot of parents in the congregation. Some soon-to-be parents in the congregation as well. Now, one of the first things that I am realizing as a parent is that, as all parents will say, that one of our primary jobs is to try and teach our kids not to repeat the same mistake. Isn't that a job of a parent? To try and make sure that our kids don't make the same mistake twice. Well, it would appear that 
nobody has taught the Jews that. Because do you remember what we've seen? Like in the past, they have made the mistake of trying to ambush and kill Paul. And yet, what are we reading here? They're doing it again. Like they're making the same mistake again. They're trying to ambush Paul. Do you see the hatred though? They are trying to repeat an assassination attempt on Paul the Apostle. And then look at the trial itself. Like Festus, he says, right, we're not having the trial in Jerusalem. We're taking everyone up to Caesarea. Look at verse 7 with me. And look at the venom. Look at the loathing in verse 7. Do you see it? When Paul appeared in this trial, look at the Jews. The Jews stood around him, you know, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Can you picture that? You know, the Jews with the with the robes, you know, standing around Paul, and it's intimidating, isn't it? And menacing, threatening, they're shouting at him, they're they're spinning at him. Do you see how much they hate this man? I'm telling you this, you know, this week I'm reading this, and 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 obviously, you know preparing to preach on this subject. And I genuinely uh, was affected by just this, this picture of hatred. How could they hate someone so much? How could they hate someone who has just wanted to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ? I, I truly affected by it. And then do you know what happened? I remembered a detail here that makes this scene ten times darker. Ten times worse. Friends, look at the last verse of the previous chapter. Look at Acts, look at it. Look at Acts 24, 27. Look at the first three words. When two years, two years have passed, Felix was succeeded by Festus. Do you see what that means? Think about it. It's been two years since the first trial. It's been two years since the Jews first tried to kill Paul. Two years! And there hasn't even been a slightest hint in moderation of their thinking. Two years have gone past. There hasn't been any sort of diminishing of their loathing, of their hatred of this man. Two years! Friends, do you see what we learn here? Do you see what we have? Surely, surely the Jews in Acts chapter 25, they stand before us this morning as a picture of the natural heart of man, don't they? That whether we like to think about it or not, whether we feel it or not, that all man, all humanity in our natural state, we stand like this. We stand fundamentally antagonistic, we stand fundamentally opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And increasingly, I am convinced that we as Christians, we don't appreciate the severity of that situation. Is this not true? That many of us in here, when we think about the people in our families who are lost, and our friends who are lost, don't we think Oh, well, if we could just get them to come into church. You know, if we could just get them to meet some other Christian people. And, you know, we could get them to, to hear a, a preaching. And if we could just get them to read a bit of the Bible, don't we think in our heart of hearts, 
almost inevitably those people will be saved and look at the Jews and look at the Jews these are people who hear preaching and they heard the apostle Paul preach and they heard him unpack the good news of the gospel and all of these trials nothing and they're Jews they are the chief priests they spend their whole day that's their job studying the word of God look at them Year after year after year after year, total heart, totally, totally unbelieving, hating the gospel. Do you see the point here? Friends, a person continues in their unbelief until one thing, and one thing only happens, until God undertakes a supernatural work in that person's heart. They continue in unbelief until the Holy Spirit breathes into those dry bones. And so I ask you as a congregation, as Christians here, do you see what we must do? Think about the logic. If there is no new life unless God works, but if God promises to work, if his people pray, what do we do? Surely we must increasingly appeal for the Lord Jesus Christ to do this. We must be on our knees every day pleading that Christ would save, that he would, that he would work. Why? So that your loved ones, you know, the people in your life, your friends, the people who are, who are lost, that, that they would not do this. That they would not continue year into year to year in their spiritual hatred of a loving and a risen Lord. We pray. So we've seen the Jews. Let's turn and let's consider the Apostle Paul. And the idea here of being courageous for Christ. We've seen the idea of being contrary to Christ. Please, let's consider being courageous for Christ. <coughs> now, we're down on boys and girls dramatically this morning. But I'm sure that all the boys and girls who are here today, they've all at some stage played the game past the parcel. Okay? You cannot beat a good game of past the parcel. I'm sure all the boys and girls have played it. It is a game as awesome as it is tense, though. It's a tense game, you know, past the parcel. It's all building up to this big point of revelation, isn't it? Music starts and the present gets passed around. It's tense, you know, the first layer of wrapping paper is open, you know. Is it going to be there? Nope, passed on. And it builds up and builds up. And eventually there's that point of revelation, isn't there? Where, yes, I've got it, you know, the, the present is there in front of you. Well, I hope the boys and girls see that that's what's happening in the trial. That's how Luke is recording this trial that takes place in Caesarea. It is this big increase, this crescendo of tension that culminates in a grand revelation at the end. You following? Do you see how that works? You've got, you know, it starts off the Jews make their accusations and it's a bit tense. That tension increases as Paul refutes that. The tension really increases when Festus says, Paul, are you willing to be tried in Jerusalem? And then it comes. Then there's a presence opened. You know, there's the, the point of revelation. Do you see what it is? Paul says, no, I 
appeal to Caesar. Now this is the grand point that he's trying to make. This is the great revelation. Something that is going to shape the rest of Paul's life. I appeal to Caesar. The question is, what on earth does that mean? Like what did that, what did that involve? What did that entail? An appeal to Caesar. I don't know about you, but in our household at home, we love films about miscarriages of justice. It can't be a good film about a miscarriage of justice. I don't know if you've seen the the film The Hurricane uh, with Denzel Washington. It's probably quite an an old film written up. And again, I should have a spoiler alert, I think, at this point. Um, But it's it's a film about a boxer called Hurricane Carter uh, who was imprisoned I think in the 1960s wrongfully imprisoned for murder but Hurricane Carter was subsequently released and we're talking decades and decades later and he was released after a successful appeal okay now so what man what I need you to see is that that is entirely different to an appeal before Caesar. See, an appeal to Caesar wasn't an appeal to have a verdict reassessed. You see the difference between Hurricane Carter and Paul? Like, Hurricane Carter, he'd been found guilty already, hadn't he? Like, he'd been imprisoned, he was guilty, he was going down. Paul's not like that. You see it? Like an appeal to Caesar was an appeal for an ongoing case that hadn't been decided, an appeal to have that heard by a higher court. Okay? Now, the question is, okay, why? Like why, at this point, would Paul make an appeal to Caesar? And that question is so important that I want you to answer it. Why did Paul appeal to Caesar? And to answer it, I want you to turn back one page, I think, to Acts 23, verse 11. Now, before you read it, Acts 23, verse 11, before you read it, remember the question. Why did Paul appeal to Caesar? Acts 23, verse 11. (coughs) Let me read it. The Lord Jesus Christ stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem. So you must also testify about me in Rome. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see what Paul is doing? Do you see why he's appealing to Caesar? It wasn't because he's scared of these Jews. It wasn't because he's scared of going back to Jerusalem. Paul's a hard man. He's not scared of that. Paul appeals to Caesar because he can see an opportunity to honor God. Do you see it? He can see in amongst this hardship and this trial. Man, wouldn't it have been hard? wrongfully imprisoned in a Roman prison for two years, undergoing these trials, it would have been hard, but Paul can see in this hardship, he can see God is giving him an opportunity. He's given him an opportunity to, to, to follow him, to follow the will of Christ, to witness, to, to go to Rome. Now, we have to appreciate that Paul, wow, Paul would have to be brave at this point and courageous. Let me tell you this, the emperor, that Paul was appealing to here was none other than Emperor 
Nero. Like a man who was as violent as he was unpredictable. This was brave, but do you see him? He is appealing to Caesar because in this hardship, he can see an opportunity to honor his God. My friends, do you see the lesson for us this morning? That's a congregation. See, many of us in here, many of you in here, are at this point in your lives going through real hardship and at this point in your life are going through real trial. And I, I think maybe because of that, you are at this point, spiritually speaking, asking the same questions that Paul would have been asking over these two years. And asking, why is this happening? Lord God, why are you imprisoning me in these circumstances? But do you see the answer here? Do you see at least part of the answer here? God allows these things to happen. God permits these hardships to happen. Why? To afford his children opportunities to trust him. To afford his children with opportunities to really show their faith, to demonstrate that they they love him, to demonstrate that they trust him. He's given opportunities for us to witness to Christ through these hardships. And, and, And this means that we have to be brave as Christians. We have to be courageous as Christians. But do you see it? If we are orientated towards Christ like Paul, then our God in his grace will give us absolutely everything that we need to glorify him through things. So I don't know, maybe you are one of these people. Maybe it is the case that you are going through hardship just now and and problems just now. Friends, simply look to Christ. As a Christian, be willing to appeal to Caesar. Be willing to pursue the honor, the will, the glory of Jesus Christ, even in times of trial. So we've seen the Jews and their hatred, and we've seen Paul and his and his courage grasping that opportunity. Thirdly, and, and lastly, let's think about this man, Festus, <coughs> this Roman governor, and the idea of being uncertain about Christ. So we be contrary to Christ, being courageous for Christ. Last one, being uncertain about Christ. Okay. Now, if, if, if you're a person who's um, been around churches in the life of the church for a number of years, maybe even for a number of decades, I'm sure you can think about people who who have undergone a very negative change in their attitude towards the gospel. I'm sure people spring to mind. You know, people who come into the life of the church and kind of throw themselves into the life of the church and seem to really be enthusiastic about the gospel and the good news. But for whatever reason, that changes. And for whatever reason, they pull back and they become cold. I'm sure a lot of us can think about and can, could name people like that. Now, what I want you to see is that that is very similar to what happens to this man Festus. Like we, I, I mean, we didn't read a large section of scripture there, 
But see in that section of scripture, this man faced this. He undergoes this really negative transformation in attitude. Like a huge change takes place in Festus. Now, it's not all that easy to see. Do you see it? This negative change. Look, consider how Festus starts out the chapter. I mean, initially, this new Roman governor is totally different to the last one. Like, initially, like, do you remember Felix and there was all that procrastination and delay? Well, Festus initially is not like that, is he? There's a bit, bit more sort of urgency about him, isn't there? Like, he's straight into Jerusalem. Next day in Caesarea, he is, he is, he's trying Paul. There's a bit of urgency about him. Then think about this. He starts out as a man of integrity. Now, I'll, I'll, I do want to draw your attention to verse 3. Because the language God has highlighted for us, the language. Look at verse 3. Think about his integrity. The Jews want him to do what? They want him to do them a favor. And what does he say? Look at his integrity. He says, I'm not, I'm not doing you a favor. Like, I want to investigate this trial myself. I want to investigate this accurately. I'm not doing you a favor. So he starts it very well. Look at how this changes. Do you see it? By the time that he is presiding over this trial in Caesarea, he's just become Felix. Like, that urgency's gone. He delays, he delays his decision. He procrastinates. And the urgency and the, the integrity echoes. Look at verse 9. Remember the language of verse 3. Look at verse 9. Before he wouldn't contemplate doing him a favor. Look at verse 9. Now he's actually actively looking for ways of doing them a favor. Do you see that integrity it goes? Do you see that this man has gone, undergone a huge negative transformation? His attitude's totally changed. This is a changed man. Now the question that I want to ask is why? What's happened to this man that's caused change? Friends, what we see is that in the interim period... He has spent time with the Jews. Like verse 6 says that in the interim period, Festus spent 8 to 10 days with the Jews. Do you see, if you put your thinking caps on, do you see what's happened here? Given what we know about Festus now, do you see what's happened to this man? Do you? Like he's the new guy. And he goes into Jerusalem. He's the new, he's the new big boss man. He's the Roman governor. He goes in. What does he see in Jerusalem? He sees that the chief priests and the Jews, that they have incredible power in Jerusalem, doesn't he? And and he sees that these people, these chief priests, they hold real sway in Jerusalem. They've got population in the, the palm of their hand. Do you see what he's thinking? He's thinking, if I side with Paul in this court case, if I side with the gospel, I'm going to make enemies for myself. If I side with Paul, if I side with Jesus Christ, I am going to cause chaos in my jurisdiction. So what does he do? He pulls back from the truth. Now, this morning, I have spoken primarily to believers here. I've spoken to the Christians in the room. I want to end by speaking to you if you are not someone who has faith, saving faith in Christ. 
See, when I'm talking about Festus there, does that ring true to you? Did you start out well? You know, when it comes to religious things, spiritual things, did you really start out with some integrity there? Like you wanted to explore these things? You wanted to evaluate these things? You really wanted to see what was true? But now, as you consider the enemies you would create if you were to come to Christ, and if you were to consider the chaos that it would cause if you were to come to Christ, have you pulled back? Have you delayed coming to Jesus? Friends, this morning I would urge you not to let potential problems impede you coming to the cross, coming to Jesus Christ. Do you see why it's so important that this morning you come to Jesus? Do you? It's because that outsider summary that we started the sermon with, you know the outsider summary that Festus says to Agrippa? It's true that there is a man named Jesus who was dead and he is alive. What Paul claimed in this court case, what Paul's consistently claimed is true. That Jesus Christ just now is not dead. He is risen from the dead. Do you see that in him is forgiveness for your sin? You know, in him, in repentance and belief in him, there's lightness, salvation. The burden of the guilt that weighs upon you goes in Christ. In him, there is actual redemption, freedom from that. There's a reconciliation with with God in him. So this morning, I appeal to you not to look at the problems that might be caused, not to look at the enemies that you might make. I appeal to you to look to Jesus Christ, to have your orientation towards the King of Kings. I urge you to look to him. In fact, I'd say more than that. You look to Christ today in faith and you bow before him. Why? The outsider summary is true. It's true. He is a risen Lord and mercy forgiveness is with him. Let's pray.